Welcome to the Physiatry Podcast, where we discuss topics in physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine all in one. We focus on delivering the best, unbiased information to our audience. This is podcast number 19, and today is June 3rd, 2020. This is a very sad time in our world, and not to bring more sadness, but we've lost a great one. Dr. Lisa Stearns, she was one of the most caring physicians that I've known of, and absolutely one of the best physicians if you've ever had an intrathecal pump. She probably has had something to do with it. She's done multiple different studies. She's also been involved with cancer pain. And for patients that have had pain and cancer, she's been one of the experts in the world. If anybody wanted to learn about intrathecal pumps, every physician that is involved in neuromodulation dreamt of going to see Dr. Stearns. I am one of the privileged that was able to go see her in her clinic in the hospital when she was operating and put in an intrathecal pump in three cancer patients one day. This was about a year and a half ago in October, and I can't say that any other trip or any other thing that I've been to has touched me so much and influenced my life so much as going to see her for that 24 hours. Lisa, Dr. Stearns, you will definitely be missed. You have been an influence on more people than you may think. And the information and the incredible knowledge that you had hopefully will be transmitted through multiple different people throughout the world that you've taught in the past, but the knowledge gap will be humongous. So this podcast will be in tribute to Dr. Stearns. I'm going to talk a little bit more about cancer pain because of that. Despite me thinking about talking about rheumatoid arthritis, I cannot do justice but to speak about cancer pain today. And let's get into a medical myth about cancer pain. Many patients with cancer will have pain, about 9 out of 10 do, and many of them are treated pretty easily. And not everybody has pain. So it is important, first of all, if someone has cancer and has pain, to tell their doctor that they have pain and if they're being treated well for it. So is it inevitable for patients to have pain with cancer? Not necessarily. So 50 to 80% of patients with advanced cancer may have moderate to severe pain. That doesn't mean that everybody has it. That's only 50 to 70%. If you think about cancer pain, many people think, oh, I'm going to have pain and nobody's going to be able to treat it. Well, guess what? There are ways to treat it. We treat patients for cancer pain with all sorts of different things. We can treat them with injections. We can treat them with surgery. Oftentimes, surgery is important because it'll get rid of the tumor that's causing the pain. Infection can also cause pain that may be involved with the tumor, so treating the infection can get rid of the pain. Chemotherapy and radiation sometimes can shrink tumors and get rid of pain. 
So don't think that cancer pain is not treatable. It is extremely treatable. Now, if you don't complain about the pain, it can actually cause other issues. And if you're not treated well for this pain, it can cause depression, fatigue, anxiety, the inability to work, difficulty with relationships, difficulty with all sorts of things. And then you may not be able to do chemotherapy and other things that you need in order to live longer. So don't forget about your pain if you have cancer. Now, if you have cancer, you should hold off on taking no take your pain medicines as prescribed don't prescribe don't skip prescribed doses of course unless if you're sleepy or something like that that's a different story um are you going to be addicted to cancer pain medicines or the medicines that are given to you for pain when you have cancer no that doesn't happen addiction only happens if a patient has a history of addiction in the past or if there are other issues like that On the other hand, you could get addicted to medicines if you have a history of being addicted to them in the past. So just be careful with that. I don't think that's a necessary thing to stop you from getting medications, though. Now, should you tough it out? No, you should never tough it out if you have cancer and you have pain. There are ways to get treated. One of the things that Dr. Stearns was really good about was treating patients early with cancer pain you know there are different things we can do really simple things like give you medicines we can give simple injections or we could do something like an intrathecal pump and all these things can help people with cancer pain so don't forget about cancer pain and getting treated for it if you do have cancer and that is our medical myth for the day Since this podcast is a tribute to Lisa Stearns, I'm going to talk about intrathecal pumps. And intrathecal analgesia has been analgesia, I mean pain relief through the intrathecal space. First of all, let me talk about the intrathecal space. What is that? The intrathecal space is the area in the spinal cord that has fluid, essentially. And it is deep in there around the spinal cord where the fluid is. And so when we inject medications into them, the whole spinal cord in the brain can be bathed with those medications. It also depends on a bunch of different factors. The first time this was ever done was in the late 19th century, soon after the discovery of cocaine as a local anesthetic. Yes, cocaine is a local anesthetic and is still used as a local anesthetic in some procedures and for anesthesia. Therefore, cocaine is actually a Schedule II drug, not a Schedule I drug like marijuana. I won't get into that because that's not part of this conversation. Anyway, in 1898, a guy named uh, August Beer produced his first documented spinal anesthesia by injecting cocaine into the intrathecal space of himself, his assistant, and six patients undergoing operations. Great. So what happened at that point? These patients actually had anesthesia or lack of feeling below the area that he injected. Now, in 1900, he mixed morphine. Uh, a guy named Rudolf Matas injected morphine and cocaine into the intrathecal space and that actually got better pain relief. So this could decrease vertebral inflammation or inflammation in the spinal canal. So we fast forward to 1973, where they started discovering things in the spinal cord, including the discovery of opiate receptors, which are the receptors that are involved with 
using opioid medicines like morphine and uh, oxycodone and other things like that. And that's when people decided that it may be a good idea to use morphine for the treatment of intractable cancer pain. This was actually found by Jay Wang, who in 1979 actually used intrathecal morphine for intractable cancer pain. In the same year, it was used for when they delivered babies. So for obstetric analgesia, it was used at that point. And then in 1981, the first implantable intrathecal opioid delivery device was demonstrated. And this was used in chronic pain of malignancy. Even after being used in the intrathecal space initially, it was not being used in the way that we use it now. The technology was very primitive. And now we use intrathecal pumps that are programmed and that are controlled. Initially, there were no pumps. Everything was being done externally, so there would actually be a catheter that's put into the back that would stick outside the back, and there'd be a pump outside. Now there's actually a pump that's implanted into the body that is programmable. Now, the pumps even 10 years ago were different than that. They were less programmable in the sense that many of them were used by a pressure gradient, so the pressure in the pump would be higher than the pressure in the body, and that would actually cause more pressure to go or some of the medicine to flow from the pump to the body. Now that caused problems because if you're at higher altitude or lower altitude, things would change and the amount of medicine would change. So now we have programmable pumps that don't do that. Some of the initial work that was done on these programmable pumps and even the pressure modulated pumps was done by Dr. Stearns and my mentor, Dr. Grigsby. The way these pumps work are with the medicine in the pump is actually pumped into the spinal space and the spinal space has receptors as we said the opioid receptors and the pump's medicine goes to the spine and distributes amongst the spine and the receptors in the spine get pain relief or you get pain relief because the receptors see opioids now that can also work with using local anesthetics like lidocaine well not lidocaine we don't use that in the intrathecal space we use bupivacaine, which is similar to lidocaine, just a little bit longer lasting and less toxic. So we use bupivacaine for that that reason. And that's used in the intrathecal space as well. There are other medicines that we can use, including a medicine called ziconotide, which is a medication that is sort of a different type of medicine and it's not an opioid and not addictive, but can cause other side effects. In any case, Dr. Stearns did a lot of the initial research and continued to do research actually until the day she passed away. She just had something in, or things that are pending. She has one article that I just saw from March 20th of 2020 on cancer pain and intrathecal pain medicine. So Lisa, again, Dr. Stearns, you will be missed. And there were many, many studies done on intrathecal pain pumps and the different medications for the intrathecal pain pumps. And a lot of them showed very good results for long-term pain relief. And many of my patients today use the intrathecal pain pumps and are doing pretty well with them. Now, some of them don't do that well. Some of them do very well, but many of them do excellent with the intrathecal pain pump and have seen that more patients do well with it. Now, many people are worried about how big of a surgery putting in a pump is and other things like that. The pump is put in in a outpatient surgery 
for the most part. Some people stay the night, some people don't. And we put the pump in usually on the abdomen. Some people put it on the back. Some people put it on the leg. And there's a catheter, which is extremely small, that is tunneled from the spine to there. Now, you get enough anesthesia that you don't remember any of it for the most part. And the pain relief is takes a little while, but can be uh, pretty long-term beneficial for patients. We've seen for cancer pain and cancer pain patients that intrathecal pain pumps can make the biggest difference for their survival rate and their pain relief. And in fact, it is cheaper for many patients to have an intrathecal pain pump than not get an intrathecal pain pump for their cancer pain and for their long-term survival. And this is very interesting for patients that do have cancer pain and require significant pain medicines. The pump actually saves them money over the long term. Many of the complications of the intrathecal pain pumps can include infection, bleeding, and you can actually get overdosed from the pain medicines as well. That is not very common, but it can happen. We are very careful with how we use these pain medicines in the pump, and we use much less in the pump. So when we give you an oral opioid or something like hydrocodone, you hear hydrocodone or Norco or Vicodin, the dosage of that medicine is about 5 to 10 milligrams. In the pump, we use about 1 to 1 thousandth of that dose. So instead of using 9 milligrams, we use 0.009 milligrams to give you a similar type effect. Now that's not the same for everybody and that's not a general rule, but it is much less in a pump than orally. If we're giving you five milligrams in a pump, that is a very, very high dose. So you can imagine that there would be less side effects systemically than when using it in the intrathecal space. And the reason for that is that the opioid is much stronger in the intrathecal space than it is outside. So when it goes into the intrathecal space, it's actually delivered in a much lower dose when you take it orally. So it's actually divided by about a thousand. That's why when you get it in the intrathecal space, you can get less. And that's why it works better there. Now there are medicines that don't cross that barrier like ziconotide, where you have to give it in the intrathecal space. That's why nobody's heard of it as an oral pain medicine. So that's a little brief thing about chronic pain and cancer pain and intrathecal pain pumps. Today, I just wanted to focus and give Dr. Stearns a tribute and tell her how much all of us will miss her and how much I personally will miss her as a mentor and someone to look forward to listening to during conferences and talking about about pumps and all the information that she's given to us as well as everybody else and all the patients she's treated. I'm sure they will all miss her incredibly. Again, thank you so much to Dr. Stearns. Rest in peace. Thank you for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is podcast number 19. I will hopefully see you all next week and have a good week. Stay positive. Things are going to get better. They really can't get much worse than this, can they? Well, we've said that before, right? Anyway, have a good week. I hope to see you next week. Bye-bye.